I was preparing for today. That was it. That was it, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well. See that guy there? That's Wally Fleming. And do you, do you remember Wallace? Some of you don't. We, we were in this Bible study before it was called iConnect class nine million years ago. Uh, Wally and Diane, his wonderful wife, we, would, we used to meet in the movie theater across the street. Did you park there, by the way, today? Good. Way to go. So you, you won't lose your salvation. We're just checking. But anyway, we used to actually have our classes over there. Some of you were in it, and the Flemings were just wonderful members of it. Diane is in Central Texas today watching Grant and Children, and Wally is here for a few weeks to receive treatment at MD Anderson. And so I want us to pray for him in just a second. And also for his daughter, and I remember your daughter. She is a nurse. She's serving in the United States Army, even as we speak, in a little place called Afghanistan. In fact, she was on the scene delivering medical assistance to two of her uh, couple of soldiers. You've heard about this recent incident a week or two ago. They were shot by uh, uh, Afghan friends uh, wearing Afghan army and police uniforms, and they oftentimes turn against our own soldiers, and so Wally's daughter is there to help out. Diane is watching the grandkids while she's over there, possibly to be coming home in October, which would just be a wonderful thing. So, And, uh, and our, uh, my son Grant uh, uh, texted us um, yesterday briefly, and the caption simply said, out of Afghanistan. So they're, they're uh, on their way. Um, uh, with about 3,000 paratroopers in the 82nd, they're in Romania right now. He said, can't tell you much more. We're just there for a little while on schedule to arrive at Fort Bragg Tuesday night. So, so that is great. And all the more reason to pray for the folks still there. We have a class member, <clears throat> Rex Shorman, a major in the Air Force. Is it reserves or guard? It's reserves. Thank you. And uh, uh, Rex sends out a really wonderful little update weekly. And I have his military address, APO, um, uh, that we can use when he arrives in Afghanistan. He was still in training. I'm going to bring it in. I will print it out. This is with his permission. I'll give it to you. And then we can start sending notes. Uh, he and others give a consistent story, and that is they don't lack for food items and things like that. Our military members are well provided for. They lack for touches from home. You hear this from everyone, touches from home. Like pictures, it's phenomenally valuable to them to simply have photos. They put it on their bunks. They put it on their walls. Just in this case, a little bit of a taste of Texas. So um, I'll bring in my little camera. I'll take a picture of our class. Um, I'm wondering if someone would be willing to make up a sign that says, we love you, Rex, or praying for you, Rex, something like that. I'm real bad at it. Just something we could hold. Do you mind doing that? Thank you. For, if you could do it, it doesn't have to be next week when you're able to do so. Thank you for doing it. Randy, you should keep her. <laughs> you're planning on it? 29? Yeah. No, 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 there you go. There, there you go. 
So if you don't mind doing it, his name is Rex. Just something what we'll do, I'll give it to you, and then I'll take a picture of the class. I think that kind of thing will, and I'll take a picture of the divine servant. And if you let me have the sign, I'll, I'll take it all over campus with different ones. I'll put it in the pastor's hand, and we'll send it, uh, stuff like that over there. So anyway, we're going to pray for Wally and Wally's daughter. What's her first name? Cindy? Cindy, thank you, brother. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you again. We've already been led in prayer, and this is so wonderful. Prayer doesn't have to be an event for us. It's a lifestyle. Things have been brought to our mind, and look how easy it is now to share them with you. We're grateful for the access we have to the throne of grace. Oh, God, would you be gracious to Rex, to Cindy, to others who are serving in the military here and in other places. We respect them. We love them. We think they're doing an honorable thing. And we would love for them, oh God, to be healthy and well. Rex and Cindy, we know by name. Would you please meet their needs and camp around them and use this experience. Lord, this is something uh, you could do. We can't, but you can. Would you use this trying experience to accentuate their relationship with you? Not to compromise it, but to accentuate it. And, And in fact, would you use them as they represent their various branches of military service, our country, would you use them especially to represent you? Conversations, would you open them up for Cindy, for Rex? What a privilege it would be for them to be able to share the riches of salvation uh, in Christ Jesus, in your name. So we pray you would make good use of them while they're there. And as far as Wally, we're so glad to see him, but wish it was under different circumstances. Thank you for his attitude, confident trust in you. And we pray, oh God, as great physician, you might provide healing, total and complete healing, longevity, length of days, so that Wally could continue to live for you and glorify you. Thank you for our gathering here today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you all. Wonderful to see you. Frank Rigsby is here. I don't. I didn't see Sharon. Is Sharon? But Frank is. She's inquiring. Frank just got back, three o'clock in the morning, essentially, <laughs> from Spain, where he and Sharon led a, our most recent missions trip. We saw a little glimpse of it if you were here on Wednesday night. They worked with many, many children there. And anyway, thanks for going on many such trips. This is not. You're first, and we're, we're glad you're here. You have permission to doze off during, during class um, because I, I know you regularly do that, but this is, an, you, this is, you got an excuse for crying out loud. The Liberty Bell, which you have seen here, has been moved down in the uh, area in the children's building. Uh, if you're going from this direction before you get to the to the aquarium, and I don't know if you knew that, um, uh, but Rick Carr made that. Rick, could you just raise your hand just for a second? Rick made that Liberty Bell. You need to go buy it. It's been to many places, and he's a military guy uh, and a pilot and uh, uh, retired and uh, loves the Lord Jesus, loves the privilege of being here in this place called America. 
and uh, is, uh, loves those who serve. And uh, Fashion That Liberty Bell has some great ideas for how we might continue to honor those who've gone before us in protecting our freedoms in the military. And so we're grateful to you, Rick, who, who is a new grandpa uh, uh, for the, uh, not a new grandpa, but with a new grandchild. So this is number what? Number, number eight. There you go. Wow, wonderful. Congratulations. Yeah, but four at once, that's right. One of the girls had four kids at once. Is that terrible or what? <laughs> four little ones, and now there's a total of eight. We're just getting caught up on things. What else are we missing? Nice to see you. Excuse me, Pam, we like to start on time. I'm sorry. It's just, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I'll tell you I haven't seen it in a long time. Bill and Ray Dean Brizendine, and there they are right there. Nice to see you guys. Wow. Ray Dean, you look wonderful. Hi, Bill. <laughs> okay. The Bible. Luke chapter 22. How long will we be in Luke? Until we finish. <laughs> I promise you that. We don't know. We'll see. Luke chapter 22 is where we are today. Take a look at verse 1. Give you a chance to get there. Luke 22. Look what it says. Now the feast of unleavened bread. In case the reader is uncertain about it, Luke gives a little more information, which is called the Passover. The feast of unleavened bread, also called the Passover, was approaching. So we have a bit of a time signature on the event we're soon to read about. It's placed during the Feast of Passover. What we're about to read is located during this holiday celebration. It will become important, you'll see in just a few minutes, to know this. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's one of the ancient feasts of Israel ordained by God. Why is it called unleavened bread? Who knows? Why do you think? Uh, no, no yeast in it. And what's the problem with yeast or leaven? What's the deal? Say again. It, it, it takes time. That's true. And is there other significance, Rich? Yes, it is, uh, it is in the Bible a symbol of sin. Look, just as leaven or uh, yeast um, puffs up, enlarges a lump of dough, so sin can cause us to be puffed up. And so uh, Jewish people during Passover avoid items containing leaven as a way of saying we have a sin problem. Uh, just as leaven permeates a lump of dough, it affects every aspect of our lives. We need to be free of it. We need to confess it. So this is a leaven-free holiday time. It lasts about seven days. It's still celebrated today. Uh, when, when we did, as a Jewish family, we would gather up before Passover in a box all goods containing leaven, cookies and Cakes, potato chips, whatever, bread products. We'd put it in a box, and we would bring it to the home of a Gentile friend. 
And after seven days, sort of go back. Hey, you know those like uh, Lay's potato chips? Uh, you got any left? Those Twinkies? I, we, those, those, are, those are our Twinkies. Remember, that's how we, we actually would do that. And then we'd get the box. But anyway, that's the... Yeah, you know... Yeah, without doubt. <laughs> so anyway, that's the Feast of... Let me ask you a question. When was this Passover event first celebrated in human history? When was it first celebrated? Anyone know? Why, when, why? What's the answer? That is exactly right. Thank you. That is exactly right. When Pharaoh let the Israelites go, God said, celebrate the Passover. That's the first time. In fact, it's uh, written in the book of Exodus. And when we think of Exodus, we think that the premier event in the book is the Exodus of the ancient Israelites. It is, but perhaps of equal significance is the offering of this Passover lamb inaugurated uh, also in the book of Exodus. Look, there's a lamb. It is consumed by a family as part of a meal. Then God said, take its blood and put it on your doorposts so that when the death angel sees the blood, death will be forced to pass over. Hence the name Passover down to this day. Of course, it's you know, a marvelous foreshadowing of the ultimate Passover lamb. What's his name? Yeah, see, today we don't take his blood and literally apply it to our doorposts as they did. Uh, we apply it to our hearts and lives by the same measure of faith. God said, do this. I'm sure it didn't make a lot of sense to them. They did it by faith. And God says today, in order for the consequence of your sin, death to pass over, apply by faith the blood of the ultimate Passover lamb to your lives. So that was a foreshadowing of what we have all come to benefit from, that is salvation through the ultimate lamb, the Lord Jesus. So this is one of three Jewish pilgrim feasts. There are many feasts of Israel, but three in particular provided opportunities for Jews from all over the world to make pilgrimage and go up to Jerusalem from wherever they were. And from wherever they were, they indeed were going up to Jerusalem, whether they came from north, south, east, or west. Why up to Jerusalem? What does that mean? It, that's exactly right, Diane. It's, uh, there may be some metaphorical significance. We go up to the holy city in the spiritual sense. It's uplifting, you might say. But it isn't quite that. It's just what you said, Diane. It's geography. We're, from whatever direction you approach Jerusalem, even down to this very day, you're climbing up because uh, uh, it's placed on a hill. So uh, they, the Jews of old went up to Jerusalem on three particular occasions uh, during the year. One was this Passover, and there are two others. Uh, does anyone happen to know or want to guess as 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 to what those two other pilgrim feasts are. Ren? That is correct. Pentecost, Randy said, and tabernacles. Pentecost in Hebrew is known as Shavuot. Pentecost is an English rendering of a Greek term, and you hear the word penta like five, in this case, 50, like a 
Pentagon, five-sided, Pentecost. Um, Fifty days after Passover, we read about Pentecost in the book of Acts, Pentecost, or Shavuot, which is Hebrew for 50. Originally, it was an agricultural feast, ingathering of crops, but God attached new significance to it. No, it's the ingathering of Jews and Gentiles uh, united by a common faith in Jesus the Messiah. So in Acts, we read about Pentecost, and it said Jews from all places were gathered together in Jerusalem, and on this occasion, they, when the Holy Spirit came down upon them, it says they heard each other in each other's languages. You see, they didn't all speak the same language. Why? Because they came from all different places in the world to go up to Jerusalem on this pilgrim feast, but they couldn't communicate. But the Holy Spirit miraculously endowed them with the capacity to hear each other in each other's languages. So Passover, one of the pilgrim feasts, a second one, Pentecost, and the third one, Randy's right, tabernacles or booths in Hebrew, Shavuot, excuse me, Sukkot. Sukkot, sorry about that, Sukkot. And it commemorates the time when Israel in its wilderness wanderings lived in temporary dwellings in the desert, booths or tabernacles. The Bible says in John chapter 1, it's real interesting, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word for dwelt in Greek is actually the word tabernacled. When Jesus assumed enfleshment, that was just his temporary dwelling because he is by nature divine, God. He simply clothed or masked his divinity in temporary flesh, skin. He tabernacled amongst us, but he didn't remain in that form permanently Oh, no. On the Mount of Transfiguration, some even saw a glimpse of his unmasked deity and fell at his feet and worshipped him. We will see him for who he is one day when we're in his presence face to face. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you have these three pilgrim feasts. On this one, Passover... Uh, thousands and thousands of extra Jews would be in the confines of Jerusalem, meaning it would be crowded, flooded with worshipers going up to the temple. And it was so crowded that the um, entity who ruled the land at the time, who ruled the land at the time? Anybody know? The Romans. The Ro Caesar. And the Romans had their government in a place called Caesarea, named after Caesar, on the Mediterranean coast. Not in Jerusalem, but in Caesarea. But they were in Jerusalem now, in the precincts of the temple. The Roman legion was all over the place for crowd control. Thousands of people were there, and they had a messianic fervor during Passover. They had an extreme messianic expectation, even wondering whether Messiah would come during that time. Don't you think it's ironic that while all this Passover stuff is going on, Josephus, the historian, tells us during Passover in Jerusalem in that day, 
upwards of 250,000 lambs would have been offered in sacrifice. Oh, my goodness. Think of the sights, the sounds, the hubbub, the this, the that. Think of the smells, absolutely. And the Passover lamb offered by each family is one they raised, were familiar with. It's kind of like, you know, a 4-H club raising an animal and bringing it down to the Houston Rodeo. But when you get there, somebody takes a knife and cuts its throat. I don't want to gross you out, but that's how gross it was. You would bring uh, this Passover lamb with which you had some measure of familiarity. You'd bring it to the temple. You would lay your hands upon it and follow the instructions of an officiating priest who would say, pray these words. And here are the words. Oh, God, please accept the blood of this innocent lamb for me. Part of it would be burnt, part of it would go to the Levitical priests, part of it would go to the family, and they would eat it as part of the Passover meal. Anyway, well, all this is going on. Don't you think it's ironic that the ultimate Passover lamb is right there, and they don't recognize him? John said in John chapter 1, with reference to Jesus, this is what he did when he pointed to him one day. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb, but they missed him, though he was right in their midst. But don't be so hard on my people. Isn't he missed today? It's interesting to me. Jesus is willing to be just as real and present, helpful today, and yet so many are losing him in the crowd, distracted by the stuff of life. Anyway, this is happening here And there's this real messianic fervor, as I say, and people are really, really getting excited, but the Romans want to control things. So that's the situation, and then we get this, verse 2. The chief priests and the scribes, would you describe them? Let's say for someone reading the Bible for the first time, we may have some here. Who are the chief priests and scribes? Just in a general term, we don't have to get too... They were leaders. Whoever said it is right. Oh, oh, thank you, man. They were religious. They were the equivalent of the political, religious establishment of ancient Israel. That's exactly right. So, so this group, they were seeking how they might put him to death. Who? Put who to death? Yeah, they, they, they were seeking how they might put him to death. And, and you say, oh, you're kidding me. This is what the government of ancient Israel is about, the business of doing? Kind of strange, huh? Yeah, but let's again, let, let's not be too hard. Human nature is human nature. Um, governments are essentially in this business today, too. Uh, there are many attempts to put Jesus to death, theologically. You know, we could just kill off who he is by reframing who he is. He's just a prophet. He's just a good teacher. He's just an alternative way to God, along with Allah, Buddha, whatever. You can kill him off that way theologically. You can kill him off philosophically, and you can kill him off politically. I mean, you could just, you could just usurp his role. You could try to persuade people you, you are the Savior. Well, they're plotting to kill him. I don't understand why they plot. Well, you see, they were afraid of the people. So the government was afraid of the people. Why? 
Could you please explain that? What are, the, what are they afraid of? What do you mean? The, what was the attitude of the people? Forget about the government. What was the attitude of the people towards Jesus? They liked him. They really liked him. A lot of believers, followers. And also, uh, uh, he spoke like no other rabbi ever spoke. You know, uh, in, in Judaism, the way we do things, one rabbi quotes another rabbi. That's how we do our teaching. That's how it is. Rabbi so-and-so quotes, quotes rabbi so-and-so quotes. That's how we do our deal. Jesus didn't quote anybody. That's why the Bible says he spoke of his own authority. The highest authority doesn't have to make recourse to anybody else. And they took note. So they followed him. Ooh, his words are different than any rabbis we've ever heard. But that's not even the best. The works he does support the authenticity of his words. Who gives sight to the blind? Who heals the lame? Who does what he does? So they were, and not only that, the, the ordinary person loved him. Why? He was from Nazareth. He wasn't the PhD of his day. He wasn't a famous general. He wasn't a, born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I mean, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. 130 people in that day. Nobody goes there. Totally insignificant place. That's why we read, can any good thing come from Nazareth? What are you talking about? Nazareth's the place you go through on the way to someplace better. That's where the king of kings came from. So common, ordinary people really identified. So the Jewish religious political leaders knew, oh my goodness, we can't lay hands on him now. The people go crazy. If they go crazy, the Roman soldiers will intervene to quash this uprising and they'll, uh, they'll contact Caesar way back in Rome and Caesar will say, those Jews, I've just about had it with these scribes and all these Jews. That's it. Bounce them. We're not going to let, let them govern any longer. So what happened is they feared the people while they were trying to kill the Son of God because they feared the, what the people thought more than they feared what God thought. That's not right. It's supposed to be the other way around, don't you think, folk? Aren't we supposed to fear God more than we fear what people think about what we think about God? Don't be like these people. Be like God's people. So, so, so this is what's going on. So they, oh my goodness, they take, if, they, if they take him, you know, people rebel, the Roman soldiers do their deal. Anyway, it could be a real problem. So they don't know what to do. So verse 3, Satan, and Satan, it says, hey, let's, let's take a poll. Everyone's doing polls. I'm just curious. <laughs> How many people here uh, believe that there is a personage named Satan who exists? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, there you go. Well, I see a clear two-thirds majority. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure God appreciates the vote of confidence. Uh, yeah, I, I believe in a per, uh, that there is a personage named Satan as well. 
I'll tell you why I do. Um, the same book that told me about the Savior told me about Satan. So here's a package deal. The Bible is a package deal. You can't pick and choose. Oh, I like the stuff about the Savior, but I don't like the stuff about Satan. It's a package deal. You know, you can't approach the Bible like Thomas Jefferson did. You know Thomas Jefferson? He had a Bible, in his case, King James Version of the Bible, and he read through it. Glad he did. No. And he literally took a pair of scissors to it. And he, he cut out the passages he liked from it and uh, pasted them together, leaving behind the rest, and compiled what is now known as the Jefferson Bible. I'm not lying to you. Yeah, one of our founders. Makes me feel real thrilled about stuff. But that's the Jefferson. But you can't do that, see. All scripture is inspired by God, even the part that tells you about Satan. That's a package deal. So the same book that tells me about the Savior tells me about Satan. So, so I believe in his existence. And uh, believing in his existence explains a lot about what's going on. It tells me that behind the scene... In the unseen world, that's where reality is really taking place. A cosmic battle between Satan and Savior. It explains so much of what is going on in our country, in the Middle East, and all the rest. This created being Satan commits the sin of wanting to be like the Most High God. That's his sin. I want to be like the Most High God. Well, how could the creature <laughs> usurp the role of the Creator? You cannot do it. But that's what he's intent on doing. So all that which rightfully belongs to Savior, uh, Satan wants to lay hold of. And that just explains a whole lot to me about what's going on in the world. Anyway, Satan plays a role. Look, he entered into Judas, uh, who was called Iscariot. By the way, Iscariot is not Judas's last name. No, no, that's the place from which he comes. Judas from a place called Iscariot. Yeah. So that distinguishes that, this Judas from others. What? There are others? Who would name their kid Judas? Well, not too many today, but tons then. You know why? It means the praiser of God. That is a great name. To hang on a kid. Praiser of God. The problem is Judas didn't live up to it at all. There's no magic in, in your name. You've got to live up to it. So he was, so he was Judas. And, and, but but, but don't, don't confuse him with manifold other Judases. This is the Judas from Iscariot. In fact, do you know there's a Judas who's one of the writers of the New Testament? Do you know that? Jude. J-U-D-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where'd we get Jude? You tell me. His name is Yehuda. That's the Hebrew for Judas. Yehuda. And from Yehuda in Greek and then English, you get Judas. So where'd we get Jude? Well, some of the early translators of the Bible thought two things. One, we don't want people to confuse that Judas with this Judas. But second, the Bible's too Jewish. I'm not lying to you. So they changed his name from Yehuda 
to Jude. And that gave the Beatles something to sing about. <laughs> it's a nonsense treatment of the Bible. But anyway, there you have it. So you have this, this Judas. And it says here, Satan entered into him. So let me ask you a question. Why do we give Judas such a hard time? Aren't we judging him too, 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 too harshly? I mean, it says Satan entered into him. So therefore, how is he culpable? Could you please explain to me how this works together? Is Judas responsible for what he did? If so, how, why? It says Satan entered into him. Satan did it, right? What do you think? Pam? Yeah. So you're saying uh, that Judas, in some way, opened himself up. How? How did he open himself up? Did he say, Satan, take control? What did he do? Well, and, and, and uh, so if God permitted it, does that get Judas off the hook? I mean, God permitted it. It's not his fault. What do you think, you want? Judas, you mean? The choice to do what? Oh, so he took the money uh, to betray. Uh, okay, well, good. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. Yes, sir. Well, and he didn't know what he was doing, did he? He didn't fully. Un yeah, 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 yeah. Good, good point. So, he deceived him. He was deceived, you might say. Yes, sir. He had been thinking about it, which is which is uh, what others have said here. He, he kind of opened himself up. Brenda? I'm thinking back when Jesus on the Last Supper was saying, one of y'all is going to betray me. Yeah. And I guess that's how we figured out it was going to be Judas. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Good so insight. When, when he's like, you know, like, I forgot how they said in the Bible, but when they take him off to the cross, Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Brenda brings up a quite, quite a great incident. This is beforehand, it, it was apparent that Judas was going in this direction. Randy? How, yeah, but how did he do that? What do you mean predisposed? Ah, this is a good point. He predisposed himself to it. Randy said, because he consistently acted against truth. Diane? I mean, Denise, sorry. I knew it started with a D. Uh, uh, so in refusing to be mastered by Jesus, he opened himself up to master. Boy, that's a wonderful insight. Thank you. Hey, Deb, welcome home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well said. Yeah. He wasn't following. He was being deceitful. So you're all saying the same thing, which is so helpful. Johnny? It's interesting. Same message, totally different response. Yes. Great, great. Yes, ma'am. 
Yes. So long before this uh, occupation by Satan, uh, he was in a bad direction. Okay, good. Well said. So, yes, sir. Dan. Yes, this is a good point. Satan, our brother said, Satan seeks whom he may devour. And so, folks, it's not like Judas was hanging out, walking around Jerusalem on a nice sunny day. And uh, 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 Satan arbitrarily uh, uh, selected him out of the crowd for victimization. It doesn't work quite like that. Uh, the words you used, access, opening, um, predisposition, through sin, through uh, rejection of truth, these are the things that give the evil one an opportunity to influence. You must not think, oh no, is this going to happen to me? Am I going to leave church today, go out into the parking lot before I make it home, be possessed by Satan and end up being a betrayer of the Lord? Absolutely not. Unless you're a betrayer of the Lord to begin with. So, so, so Satan is culpable, but there was surely a measure of free moral choice on Judas's part that gave permission, if you will, for the evil one to lead him in the direction his heart was already leading him in. Remember in the Bible and way back in the Old Testament, it talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart. And it also says God hardened his heart. Well, which is it? Both. Which came first? Ah, see, that's only a question we mortals ask. There is no first, second, third with God not bound by time. <laughs> God knew how Pharaoh was going to respond and that he was going to harden his heart, and therefore God hardened his heart. God knows how Judas is going to respond, and therefore God allowed Judas to be hardened by Satan because Judas had already determined to, to do so. But let me ask you a question. Wasn't Judas saved? I mean, born again, regenerated. I mean, he knew the Lord, right? He's supping with him. He, know, I mean, he has intimate awareness of who the Lord Jesus is. He's one of the inner team here. Let's vote on this one. How many people here think Judas uh, was, um, whatever vocabulary you use, born again, saved, regenerated? How many people, would you raise your hand? Let's just, wow. How many people don't think he was? Wow. So are you telling me it's possible to be just that close to the Lord Jesus and yet so near and yet so far? Do you think that phenomenon still happens today in churches? In this church? Diane. Um, I agree with Diane and all the rest of you. Um, listen to me. How could it be that someone would be inhabited by transcendent deity and there not be evidence? So if one merely professes Christ, 
goes to church, even is baptized, participates, sings, gives, whatever. And yet there is no real evidence of continuance in the faith, change in lifestyle. Isn't there reason to believe that maybe all we have is an identification with Christ, but no regeneration, much like with Judas? I'm working on this in my own brain because uh, soon on Wednesday night we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. I've been stalling like crazy praying for the rapture because who could figure out that text, the scripture. But anyway, um, uh, there's a text there which talks about a group having been enlightened and tasted and known and all the rest. And then it says, but now you trample underfoot the... Uh, the Son of God, you treat as common his blood and you insult, it says, the spirit of grace. And the question amongst well-intentioned Christians, is that a reference to believers who lost their salvation or is it a reference to those who merely professed salvation? You see, I know the answer. Come Wednesday night, I'll tell you. No, no, no I'm, only kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm only kidding. No, you don't lose your salvation. You only underestimate the significance of it. We Americans have gotten to the point where we think salvation means someone prays the prayer. Oh no, that's just potentially the beginning of a walk with the Lord. But if you don't see evidence consistent with the prayer, then all you got is a profession no different than what happened with Judas. Listen, this guy showed no evidence of any interruption in his uh, consistent sin pattern. When you become a Christian, you don't get sinlessness. Sadly, we still have that capacity to sin as believers. But here's what you happened. Before you knew Christ, what, what you were very consistent about was sinning. And then you had a few episodes where you were sorry about it remorse. When you become a Christian, the opposite takes place. You should see a continuous pattern, not of sin, but of obedience. And what you get are a few lapses. When you sin, what do you do then? You turn from it. You thank God for forgiving you and you get back with the program. But if you see someone in this uh, unchallenged pattern of continuing sin, there's good reason to believe like with Judas, that person never got regenerated. Uh, I've been reading about an organization consisting of prior clergy who are now atheists. It's, my point is it's very, very possible. I remember when I was in England. I was in England uh, for a while. I was uh, stationed there in the military and used to worship at a, at a Church of England church in a place called Bury St. Edmunds. I mean, it was 12th century. It was really cool. They had a pipe organ. This guy played it. The pastor, they call him Rector. He was a friend of mine, Rector. And we used to hang out and eat crumpets or whatever they do over there and hang out. And one time I said to him, man, that organist, he can really tickle the ivories. I don't think that's how you talk to British people, but I don't know <laughs> the deal is. But anyway, he understood. He's he, he uh, I spoke in tongues, he translated, and you know what I mean? And so uh, I said, man, he can really play that thing. It's just glorious. And so He said, yeah, isn't it sad that he doesn't know the Lord? <laughs> what? 
What are you talking? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like an art form for him. He just goes from places to place playing pipe organs in churches. Through. Ooh, you can play hymns of the faith like that? You can hear the words? You can sit? I said, well, he's listening to your messages? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just... You can get awfully close. And not be regenerated. We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. That's why people say, how could that person be that way? That person is not in that church is not acting like a Christian. Well, what makes you think they is? Yeah, but I remember when they prayed the prayer? Now, I'll get in big trouble for this. A lot of us who say, I led someone to the Lord, really mean you, you led someone in a prayer. You don't know if you led them to the Lord right away. How are you going to know that? Check out their life three months, three years, three decades from then. If transcendent deity hasn't made, or made a noticeable difference in their life, I didn't say sinless perfection, but a good night. There's got to be some difference. If you don't see that, what are they doing? They're doing what Judas did. They're hanging out with Jesus until Jesus lets them down. I think Judas betrayed the Lord because Judas felt betrayed by the Lord. How? Well, I think he thought, oh, my goodness, Messiah's on the scene. He's going to beat up on the Romans, set up his government on earth, and give me a big place and position in it. I'll be a definite cabinet member for sure. I'm Judas. I'm the guy. I'm here. I'm one of the big 12. But then what happens is this Jesus starts talking about, um, I'm going to be uh, executed. We don't be so surprised. That's what I came to do, suffer, die for sin. By the way, I came to free you from sin, not the Romans. I didn't come to renovate your government. I came to renovate you. Uh, and not only that, you know all those people um, who hate me? They're going to hate you because they hate me and you belong to me. Oh, and I wanted to tell you something else. In the world, um, you will have oh, tribulation. And uh, also I want to tell you, um, don't, be, don't be so surprised at the whole, um, oh, you know, fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. They're going to deliver you up and persecute you. Have a good day. <laughs> so Judas is taking this all in and he's going, what? You're not the Messiah I was looking for. You betrayed me. Now I betray you. Let me tell you, it works today. What's your expectation of the Messiah? Is he like Santa Claus to you? Gives you gifts? If you're not naughty, you're nice, you get gifts from, from Santa? What's your expectation? Do you think it's supposed to be smooth sailing? When you know Jesus, no cancer, no job loss, no children who go astray, 
no marital challenges, no illness, no disease, no financial stuff, pressure. Is that your expectation of Messiah? If so, you may be on the verge of turning from him just like Judas did. Let me illustrate. 15, 20 years ago in Houston, there was a TV, uh, a guy on TV, a preacher, not very well known, but but he was on the Christian, local Christian TV thing. And I used to watch him from time to time because I am uh, stupid. <laughs> so I'm watching this guy. It's just fascinating to me to hear his messages. But anyway, he looked good. Had, I remember thinking, man, that guy has great hair. He's like the cool, big hair. It was like big hair. I was thinking, I would really look cool in that hair. It would like make me look tall. And I was just thinking, he's like Mr. Perfectly Quaffed Hair Guy. Man, what did it cost to get that do? And then the suits. I, mean, I don't begrudge anyone good-looking. These were like major good-looking. They had a cost, these suits. It was really something. Then we got hit by a storm in Houston. And a news commentator went to a neighborhood particularly hard hit by it, floodwaters and winds and all that. And, and the news reporter is just interviewing people. And he's interviewing this guy, not because he's a preacher, just because he lives in the neighborhood. And I recognize this guy, but man, he didn't look a whole lot like him because his cool hair was every which way but loose. Holy moly. And he wasn't wearing one of his expensive suits. He, it was like his grungy old T-shirt. What's up? And then they interview the guy, and here's what the guy is saying. It's gone. It's all gone. All that which my wife and I have accumulated over all these years. Lost. Lost. Gone. We have nothing. We've lost it all. I hadn't heard or seen the guy in 20 years. Judas. Why? He imagined the Messiah, and that imaginary Messiah never came true. He imagined a Messiah that would uh, owe, owe him um, immunity from the storms of life. Where did he get that? You can just fool yourself into thinking. If you get on, the, on, the, on board with Jesus, it'll be smooth sailing. But Jesus never promised that. Show me. You, you can actually persuade yourself that you can figure out something to do that actually obligates God to do something for you in return. You can twist God's arm by believing in a certain outcome that you want to come to pass. If you believe in it long enough, especially if you enter into agreement with someone else. By the way, that's not what that means. If two or three of you agree on anything, it'll be done on earth. That means church discipline. If two or three leaders in the church agree on a course of action with regard to an unruly church member, you have authority to enact it on earth just as in heaven because God appointed you to do it. That's the context of that verse, and you get untrained mishandlers of the scripture who make that a formula now. If you can just enter into agreement with me about my cancer, it'll be gone. Just like Jefferson. Yeah, well said. 
So it's kind of magical sort of a thinking. So my, my deal is the Judas phenomenon happens today. I fashion a Messiah in accordance with my own liking by following teachers in accordance with my own and preachers in accordance with my own desires. But then when storms come, I don't have anything. I don't, there's nothing in my theological bag to make sense of it. I don't know where to go except to turn my back on that imaginary Savior and stop identifying with him in any way. So I ask you, what kind of Messiah are you looking to, depending on believing in? Jesus came to give us his best. You know what his best was? It was to bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what it says in Ephesians. It doesn't say a thing about material blessing. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What are spiritual blessings? Those are things that come from the Holy Spirit. Like what? Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, self-control. None of which this TV preacher had. No joy, no kindness, no self-control, no peace. But a big multi-million dollar home that went down in the storm. But Jesus never promised that material blessing. What does this mean? It means until he establishes his final kingdom. When, as the Bible says, he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death, no longer any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Until that happens, then we're still involved in the first things. The first things, time-wise, have not passed away. All things have not yet become new. That comes when the Lord Jesus consummates his kingdom. It won't come with a new administration, with a new cancer drug, with a new... I won the lottery. Welcome to the world. It really hurts to be in it. It really hurts. Well, sure, he meets our needs. Diane, you're so well. This is well said. That's why those spiritual blessings, it's like Jesus saying, I want to give you my best and therefore not just material stuff. Someone could steal your material stuff. But what I give you, you need not ever forfeit. Even in the midst of the storm, even in the Winnebago, you could have the, or when the beach house goes, stuff like that, yeah. That's right, that is exactly right. So folks, be careful. Make sure that you're worshiping the Messiah of the Bible. <laughs> Otherwise, you may be really, really let down when the fictitious Messiah you think you're worshiping doesn't deliver the goods you think he ought to deliver. You know what he's going to deliver? You. <laughs> Through it all. <laughs> Into heaven. Free from the presence, penalty, and power of sin. That's what he's going to deliver us from. It doesn't say he's going to deliver, us a big bag, deliver a big bag of goodies this side of heaven. So anyway, Judas, um, yeah, 
Verse 4, he went away and discussed with the chief priests, officers, how he might betray him to them. That's what he is intent on doing. So I want us to end with this little question. Would you respond to this? Um, so Satan is seeking to drive Jesus to the cross so as to die. But Satan read the Bible, didn't he? Isn't the cross, didn't the cross lead to major victory for, for folks like you and me? I mean, holy moly. Isn't what happened on the cross, isn't that which obtained our salvation? Isn't the one who was impaled on the cross the one who no longer is? Because <laughs> he like is won victory over the last enemy, death, for us. How is this, which is such a victory for us, and which salvation, and which redounds to the glory of the crucified one, how did Satan think that would serve his purposes? Could you please, what do you, what, what's up with Satan? Have any ideas? How I could have gone so wrong, Mike? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so excellent points. So Mike first brings out he's the deceiver. It's all he's probably such a good deceiver he succeeded in deceiving himself. And uh, then our sister says such a good thing. Nobody said Satan was right. Uh, listen, it's really true. Do you know he's not the all wise one? Only the creator is. Satan does, it does not know all things. He's just a created being. And not only that, have you ever gotten so overcome by emotion, let's just say anger, where you can't think straight? Sure you have. Just the other day, my wife, I was going to give her. No, no, I can't. By the way, my wife is playing the piano in the foyer out there today, so if you have any spare change... Yeah, <laughs> folks, you, you can get so over overwhelmed by emotions, the anger, where you can't think straight. Where you know there's consequences, but you're just gonna strike out. I'm gonna tell you, Satan is so evil, uh, so bent on destruction, whereas Savior is so bent on deliverance. He can't see straight. So bent on being like the Most High God, though he is not the Most High God, he can't even think straight. He can't even see straight. And he failed to see that the Most High God could even put him to use. He failed to see that what happened on the cross was not the defeat of the chosen Messiah. Oh, my goodness. It led to victory in Jesus, our Savior now, you see, forever. Really fantastic. It's a good note to end on, and I'll tell you why. You're going to have to decide under whose influence you're going to be. You only have two options, Satan or Savior. You do not have to be a Satan worshiper to be under his influence. You don't have to read, do the Ouija board thing and be involved in it. You don't have to be the occult. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. In fact, it usually isn't. It's much more subtle. You're living for one or the other. That's it. For, I mean, I'm there's no options, you see. It's either Satan, father of lies, or Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. When I read texts like this, I say, oh, I don't want to worship and serve the creature. 
especially not an evil one, when I can worship and serve the Creator who's benevolent, loving, gentle, and has bequeathed to me things that are not subject to theft or inflation or anything like that. Love, joy. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy persists in spite. Self-control. You know what a great commodity is self-control? Oh, my goodness. I remember the first time I was able to say no to alcohol. I knew I was free. It was there right in front of me. It was offered to me. I, had, I was a drinker. And then on this occasion, I said, no, thank you. And my friend said, you know, you're like a slave to this religious stuff. That's what he said. I said, no, 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 no. I'm free. I've never been able to say no. I would rather serve. I would rather be under the influence of that creator than under the influence of that creature. Make a decision. Make the right decision. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> thanks for everything and more to come. We don't know much, but we know enough to put our full confidence in you. Thanks for everything. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming again. In between, we have our ups and downs. But you will not let us go. Thanks. Thank you for interfering with the pattern of unbridled, unconfessed sin. Now it's not the rule, it's the exception to the rule. One day he won't even be present. Thank you. Lord Jesus, we want to be heavily under your influence and nobody else's, especially not the father of lies. Lord, I pray if there be here someone today who thinks there is an in-between, not sure, I'll decide later. Oh, no. I pray that person would say, come into my life, Lord Jesus, giver of life. My life has been dark light of the world, enlighten me. Forgive me. I've offended your holiness with my own sin. That's the gift you came to give. Pardon from it by dying for it. And thank you for rising up from the last enemy death, making a way for me to live forevermore. Lord, I pray that simple invitation. Uh, would be taken seriously by the one or the two in this room, the more who do not yet know you. It's important. Oh, God, we wish to be free from Satan's grasp and strongly held on to by your loving embrace forever. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. Lord willing, more of Luke 22 next time. <laughs>